the Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax Products for home and industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, B. Benaderet, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. You know, I doubt if anything adds so much rich beauty to a home as mellow, wax-polished floors. A waxed floor is so beautifully smooth, so lustrous, and its shining cleanliness sets off your furnishings to such perfect advantage. Of course, for real wax-polished perfection, nothing can equal genuine Johnson's Wax. Most of the finest-looking floors in the world are polished regularly with Johnson's Wax. And this old favorite is waiting to go to work on your floors right now to give them that smooth, wax-polished sheen. That shining coat of Johnson's Wax will be wonderful protection for your floors, of course. It will guard against scuffing and scratching, help keep them beautiful without expensive refinishing. And with regular Johnson Wax care, your floors will need only an occasional dusting to keep them bright. Johnson's Wax will add the same rich, sparkling beauty and protection to your furniture and woodwork, not to mention a hundred household accessories. Try it. Johnson's Wax, paste or liquid, you'll find both on your dealer's shelves at pre-war prices. There are three sides to every question. The right side, the wrong side, and the side Fibber McGee is on. Listen to his interpretation of world events while he reads the evening paper to his wife as we join Fibber McGee and Molly. What was that again about the Greek situation, dearie? I says if General Marshall would listen to me, it would be cleared up before he could say scat. Oh. All they got to do is give them $60 billion for new schools so they can learn English. And why should the Greeks learn to speak English? My gosh, who can understand Greek? It's <laughs> a good question. What's the local news? Well, let me see. Here's a story about old man McDonald of the Third National Bank. Success story. I understand Mr. McDonald started life as a simple country boy. Simple country boy, my clavicle. If he ever milked anything besides a trust fund, I'd like to have a picture of it. <laughs> Eight by ten. <laughs> Glossy. Well, he's a prominent citizen, McGee, and lots of people will be interested in that story. There's prominent citizens with more interesting story than his. Those socks, sure darning, weren't worn out by any hobo, you know. <laughs> well, now you may get a chance to tell yours, sweetheart. I understand the Gazette has a roving reporter going around town interviewing people. Not me, kiddo. I'm not the type of guy that caters to society editors just to get my name in the papers. No, sir. I'm the type... However, if they do interview me... Uh-oh, you think that may be an interviewer? And me sitting here in my sweatshirt and sneakers. <laughs> well, what of it, sweetheart? You're not the type of guy that has all his personality in his wardrobe. You said it. Come in. Well, heavenly days, McGee. Look who's here. Hi, old-timer. Come in, Mr. Old-timer. Hello, daughter. Hello there, Johnny. <laughs> My gosh. Where you been all this time, old-timer? Oh, every place, Johnny. Sailing the seven seas. Yeah? Shipped on a cattle boat to Valparaiso, first made on a tanker to Sumatra, roused about in Singapore, docked wallop in Liverpool, 
and done a little smuggling on the side. Smuggling, my goodness. Yep. Sneak three O'Briens and a Finnegan into Palestine. <laughs> yes, sir. They, they wanted to go where there was some fighting, so I took them. <laughs> I didn't know you were a sailor, old-timer. Oh, yes, I did, too. Weren't you in the CBs during the war? Sure was, Johnny. Yep. I was chief of the bulldozers and the Salomons. Oh, you mean you ran those big tractor things, huh? Nope. I had some beef critters with insomnia, and I used to sing them to sleep. <laughs> Feed courses, a melancholy baby, and them bulls was dozing like babies. <laughs> Is that true, or just one of your prime ribs? <laughs> prime ribs, eh? <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny, but that ain't the way I heard it. <laughs> The way I hear it, one feller says, the other feller says, I hear the United States is going to have a national lottery in 1948. That's so, says the other feller. What they going to call it? Same as usual, says the first feller, a presidential campaign. <laughs> I just dropped in to pass the time of day, kids. It's 4.15. Goodbye. <laughs> He has an interesting face, hasn't he? Yeah. It looks lived in. Yeah. <laughs> How old do you suppose he is, McGee? I don't know, but I got my suspicions. What do you mean? Remember that painting, The Spirit of 76? Sure. Three men with a flute, a drum, and a flag. Well, I think he's the guy on the left with the flute. <laughs> By the way, did you know that every guy going into politics studies that painting? No, no, I didn't. Yes, sir. The greatest political lesson ever painted. Wow. If you're on the left, you make shrill noises. If you're on the right, you get ready to beat it. And if you get caught in the middle, you start waving the flag. Any more local news, dearie? I haven't looked. I can't get over this yarn about old man McDonald. My gosh, if the Gazette wants to interview some really interesting people, I could name it. Come in. How do you do? You're Mr. and Mrs. Fibber McGee, I presume. I'm Miss Cartwright. How do you do, I'm sure? Hi, sis. If you're from the finance company, you're not due till Thursday. <laughs> Want to sit down and wait a couple of days? Now, McGee, don't be rude. Rude? You ought to hear how I talk to the men from the finance company. What you putting the sleeve on us for this time, sis? The car or the piano? Oh, neither one, Mr. McGee. I, I hope you don't mind answering a few questions. Interview? Oh, my. You, you mean you're, you're on... Oh, I <laughs> shucks, sis. Mighty glad to talk to you. Have a chair. Take that one over there. It's an antique. That's the very chair the village blacksmith sat on when he wrote Longfellow. You're a little confused, dearie. It was Longfellow who wrote the village blacksmith. I know that. I also know the village blacksmith wrote Longfellow to thank him. <laughs> well, it certainly was nice of you to think of me, Miss Pushcart. Uh, Cartwright. Uh, Cartwright. Uh, we were bound to get around to you sooner or later, Mr. McGee. Uh, would you mind raising that shade a trifle? I'd like to make a few notations. Why, of course, Miss Cartwright. Raise the shade, dearie. Uh, just be patient. It's about due. <laughs> well, I want a better look at that lovely hat Miss Cartwright's wearing anyway. Oh, thank you, my dear. Now, look, sis, about this interview. Maybe we better get going. I was born in a little white house on the top of Kickapoo Hill back in Peoria. Oh, good oh. <laughs> gracious, what was that? Just the window shade going up. Yeah, <laughs> does it itself. 
I guess I'll have to start over, sis. I was born in a little white house on the bottom of Kickapoo Hill back in Peoria. An ordinary boy to all appearances, studious and athletic, a favorite with both students and teachers. Billy Mills in the orchestra and smile right back at the sun. forget the day I was decorated by General Pershing. General Pershing? Uh, this was in the First World War, Miss Carter. Yeah, the big war. <laughs> well, sir, the regiment was standing at attention. A hush fell over the battlefield. Suddenly, Pershing says, Captain McGee, three paces forward. Captain, I says to myself, my gosh, I says, I've been promoted, I says. But I leaps forward and salutes. And he pins the Croix de Guerre on my blouse. He salutes. I salute. The other officers salute. I salute. The company salutes. I salute back. They... Then I says, very respectful, what am I being decorated for, General? I says, for shooting down those five German airplanes over Barley Duke, he says. That's strange, I says. I never been to Barley Duke. <laughs> Aren't you Captain George McGee, he says. No, sir, I says. I'm Private Trevor McGee. <laughs> Well, sir, later on in the guardhouse... Uh, excuse me, Mr. McGee. Huh? This is not exactly what I'm after. Not that it isn't interesting, because it isn't. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm much more interested in your home here, your possessions. For instance, that sofa. Isn't that an antique? Oh, no, that's just an old horsehair sofa given to us by Aunt Sarah. What do you mean, just an old horsehair sofa? 
Didn't Aunt Sarah tell you about that, Molly? No. Why, my gosh, kiddo, that hair was clipped off the very horse that Paul Revere rode when he roused the Minutemen at Tapioca. <laughs> I mean, Concord. I wouldn't take $10,000 for that sofa. I would. <laughs> and I'd throw in the house, the silverware, and a pound of butter. <laughs> ah, she's just kidding, Miss Barnside. Cartwright. Cartwright. Yes. <laughs> This is intensely interesting, Mr. McGee. Have you any other priceless heirlooms? Sis, this house is full of priceless heirlooms. Mm. Now you take that piece on the mantel there, that marble Venus with the clock in her stomach. <laughs> what would you say that was worth? Well, I might be a few dollars off one way or the other, but I'd say about 98 cents. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> 98 cents. Sis, don't be deceived by the fact that one leg is busted and the hour hand is missing. <laughs> he keeps knocking it off the mantel because he's so modest. <laughs> you know, he winds it with his eyes shut. <laughs> the point is, Miss Cartwheel... Oh, dear. Come in. Dr. Gamble, do come in, doctor. Thank you, my dear. Hello, Jughead. Ooh. I... Oh, excuse me. I didn't see you had guests. You're slipping, butcher boy. Ordinarily, you could see a good-looking woman six miles away on a dark night with a diver's helmet on backwards. Gentlemen, now, please, mind your manners. Uh, Miss Cartwright, may I present Dr. Gamble? Hello, doctor. Hello, Miss Cartwright. Nice to see you again. May I ask if you and these people are old friends? No, she just come in to interview me, doc. Mr. McGee seems to have some very valuable objects of art, doctor. Uh, you know about that clock on the mantel? Oh, yes, indeed. It was a wedding present from Molly's Aunt Sarah, who won it on a punch board. <laughs> Nobody said Aunt Sarah won that clock on no punch board. Nobody had to. It's obvious. <laughs> you don't think anybody sells junk like that, do yes, you? Yes, now, but doctor... That's probably for you, medicine ball. Those operators track you down like a Kentucky colonel hunting a mint bed. <laughs> well, who'd invest a nickel to hear your voice, honey? <laughs> Hello, Gamble speaking. Who? Oh, yes, Mrs. Clatterhatch. Her again. What was that, Mrs. Clatterhatch? Well, I've told your husband 50 times the only cure for his trouble is to get into some other line of business. That buzzing in his ears is an occupational hazard. All right, Mrs. Clatterhatch. Goodbye. That's a silly hunk of advice. How can changing his occupation cure a buzzing in his ears? He keeps bees. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to meet again, Miss Cartwright. See you later, Molly. A fine man, the doctor. Know him well, Miss Cartwright? Not as well as he knows me, Mrs. McGee. I've never seen his x-rays. <laughs> <laughs> and now then, uh, Mr. McGee, I don't want to take up too much of your time because... Oh, I you... think nothing of it, sis. I got a lot of things to tell you about yet personal stuff. Matter of fact, sis, I got a lot of interesting hobbies. Stamps, coins, carving ships in bottles. Ships in bottles. Yeah. Now that is interesting, Mr. <laughs> McGee. How do you get those big boats in those little bottles? Uh, <laughs> I'm afraid that'll have to remain a secret, sis. <laughs> At least I finish one and find out how it's done. <laughs> but now in your article about me, Hello, I think... folks, I hope... I... Oh, am I intruding? Not at all, Mr. Wilcox. Uh, Miss Cartwright, allow me to present Mr. Wilcox. Mr. Wilcox, Miss Cartwright. How do you do, Mr. Wilcox? Hello, Miss Cartwright. Miss Cartwright is interviewing himself here, Mr. Wilcox. Yeah. You know, Mr. Wilcox, the McGees have a number of fascinating heirlooms. 
It's amazing what valuable properties you find in a modest home like this. Well, I just happen to like nice things, I guess. <laughs> Thank you, dearie. <laughs> now you take that spinet piano over there. Very valuable. Spinet piano? Isn't that a little large for a spinet piano, Mr. McDee? Certainly. It's the only six-foot-high upright spinet piano in existence. <laughs> you couldn't buy that piano for 6000 bucks, sis. In purely a coincidence, I suppose, but you couldn't sell it for that either. <laughs> Well, it does have a beautiful finish at that, pal. What do you use on it? Mm. Oh, come out from behind that innocent expression, Mr. Wilcox. <laughs> Mr. Wilcox sells Johnson's Wax, Miss Cartwright. Really? How splendid. You know, I don't believe I've ever interviewed people in a well-kept home who didn't use Johnson's Wax on their floors, furniture, and woodwork. You don't say. Yes, indeed. The minute I walk into a home and see a clean, gleaming, hospitable interior, I just know they're Johnson's Wax users. You might as well sit down, Mr. Wilcox. You're not doing anything. <laughs> Tell him some more, sis. He can recognize a plug farther than Clem McCarthy. <laughs> Only when Clem makes a mistake, it's news. <laughs> well, I'm serious, Mr. McGee. I've talked to simply hundreds of people in my work, and regardless of their circumstances, the ones who have pride in their possessions use Johnson's wax. They say it not only beautifies, but protects and preserves as well. I've said that myself. I've heard you. Mm. Well, you might as well finish, Miss Cartwell. I doubt if he gets paid this week anyway. I don't know what you mean, Mr. McGee. I was just saying that Johnson's Wax seems to be a must for good housekeepers because dust and dirt can't cling to a Johnson Wax surface. And it makes cleaning so much easier. Uh, by the way, Miss Cartwright, where are you from? Racine, Wisconsin. <laughs> Why? I just wondered. Great town, Racine. I was born there. Why, Mr. Wilcox, you were born in Omaha, Nebraska. Physically, yes. Spiritually, I was born in Racine. <laughs> Get him. He's about as spiritual as a barn dance. <laughs> Look, Waxy, will you excuse me and Miss Wheelwright? Cartwright. Cartwright. <laughs> we got to finish this interview. Sure, sure, sure. Go right ahead. I'd like to see some more of your heirlooms, Mr. McGee. No sooner said than the monkey grabbed it, sis. Hey, Molly, let's show her that painting we got upstairs, that Rembrandt. A Rembrandt? Pal, you never told me. What painting are you referring to, McGee? You know, the one hanging in the hall upstairs? Uh, the two kittens in the basket? <laughs> you bought it a couple of years ago. A Rembrandt, mm. really? You misunderstood me, McGee. I said it was a Remnant. <laughs> I got it at a rummage sale, Oh, uh, what's the diff? That Remnant, he was a good painter, too. <laughs> Fact is, sis, we have several valuable remnants. Of... Come in. Hi, Miss McGee. Oh, <laughs> oh, people, huh? <laughs> Come on in, Teeny. This is the little girl from across the street, Miss Cartwright. Hello, Teeny. I am very happy to make your acquaintance, Miss Cartwright. Hey, that's a very fancy curtsy you do there, Teeny. Sure. I used to curtsy better, I bet you, but I can't squat down so far now on account of because I fell off my tricycle and bumped my knee hat. <laughs> knee cap, Teeny. Caps are for men, ladies wear hats. Mm. Oh. Hmm? I said, oh. Oh, what? Oh, all right, ladies wear hats. That's what I said, I bet you. Oh, hi, Mr. Wilcox. I didn't see you standing there. Hello, Teeny. How's everything in school? Well, my teacher, Miss Yegley, is home with an antiseptic sore throat, and we got a substitute teacher. You got a what, sis? A substitute teacher. Uh, don't you mean a substitute teacher, little girl? Sure. 
teacher. She's the best substitute teacher we ever had. <laughs> She'd give me A plus and when did. What was that? She gave you A plus in what, Deanie? When did. You know, like when did Columbus discover America? <laughs> when did the pilgrim step on the chicken? Step on the chicken? What are you talking about, sis? Well, it's in our history book, I bet you. Huh? When the pilgrims came over, they stepped on a chicken. Oh, you mean Plymouth Rock, Teeny? Sure. Our substitute teacher is Dandy with history. <laughs> she teaches with poetry. Oh? Mm-hmm. Like, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. For a compass, he must have used a tube because he missed New York and landed in Cuba. <laughs> Look, Teeny, I don't like to be unhospital, but uh, we're kind of busy here today. Miss Cartwright here is doing an article about me, and she wants to finish her interview. I think you're under a misapprehension, Mr. McGee. My purpose in this interview... Well, to... uh, look, whatever it is, I guess Teeny and I are intruders. Come on, Teeny, let's go down to Kramer's Drugstore and get a soda. Oh, <laughs> boys, well, can we walk past Willie Toops' house, Mr. Wilcox, and... You hold my hand, kind of, huh? <laughs> I've got my car outside, Teeny. We'll drive past Willie's house. Oh, will that ever make him jealous, I bet you. <laughs> well, goodbye, everybody. My boyfriend and I have to go now. Goodbye, Teeny. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye Teeny. Come, dear. Things men, like there's I ain't much for city ways, I ain't much for speed Never learned the gift of gab, never had the need And when it comes to politics, I always have a doubt In fact, there's quite a lot of things that I can't talk about But when it comes to fancy dancing or to music with a smile Or to nice romancing, make mine country style when it comes to arms that hold your eyes that shine above a mile, like I just now told you, make mine country style. Hear that fiddle? I could listen all night. Get that fiddle? Ain't that something? Turn right, dance and share a loving cup with different partners for a while. But for hitching up with, make mine country style. Lady, take a gent for an elbow swing, then go engine style.
More tea, Miss Cartwright? No, thank you, my dear. McGee? Uh, no, no, thanks. No more tea. Mr. Wimple? Yes, please. And may I have another chocolate brownie? Certainly, Mr. Wimple. Help yourself. Thank you. You seem to have a very good appetite, Mr. Wimple. Well, I get a lot of exercise, Miss Cartwright. Walking through the woods every day with my bird book. Your what, Mr. Wimple? My bird book. Did you know, Miss Cartwright, that the golden Louisiana Oriole carries a lightning bug in its bill when it flies at night? No, but it's very interesting. Uh, did you know that the fork-tailed whimsy of eastern Wyoming has retractable feet? My goodness, have you got a bird book, too? <laughs> no, but I've seen some strange birds in my time. Now, about this valuable oriental rug you say you have, Mr. McGee. My, this is a busy day, isn't it? Come in. Hey, it's Mayor Latrivia. Hi, Latrivia. Hello, McGee. Good day, Molly. Hello, Mr. Mayor. Mr. Wimple. Ah, oh, there, Miss Cartwright, on the job, I see. Hello, Mr. Mayor. Yes, and I find Mr. McGee very cooperative. Uh, have a cup of tea, Your Honor? Uh, no, thank you. I will, and another brownie, please. <laughs> Why don't I run down to the corner and hide some brownies in the mailbox, Wimp? You might get hungry on the way home. Oh, I'll just put a couple in my pocket. Thank you. <laughs> I saw a sweetie face on the way over here, Wimple. <laughs> She's looking, uh, looking very well. Sweetie face? Yes. It's my big old wife. <laughs> Keeping you busy at the city hall, Mr. Mayor? Yes, quite. Our fire department is short on the budget and they need new holes rather badly. You mean us taxpayers get stuck for a thing like that? Certainly. Some of their hoses are five or six years old. So what? I got three pairs of hoses I got for Christmas in 1939. <laughs> They've been mended and mended and mended, but I don't expect the city to buy me new hoses. I'm not discussing hosiery. I'm talking about hose. Farmers don't wear hosiery, dearie. They wear short socks like you. Am oh. I right, Mr. Mayor? Yes, I suppose. Now, wait a minute. Let's get this straight. While he's getting it straight, may I have another brownie, please? <laughs> There you are, Mr. Wimple. Uh, look, Your Honor, I'm all for giving our brave fire laddies anything they want within reason, but don't we pay them enough so they can buy their own socks? Certainly. They do buy their own socks, I suppose. I'm talking about fire hose, the kind they attach to a hydrant and run water through. Wouldn't it be simpler just to send them to the laundry, Latriv? <laughs> my gosh, when I wash my hose... They I... don't attach them to wash rinse to hide them. Huh? I mean, they don't wash them to fire them in a hose. You said... The hose I'm talking about is a hire hose. I mean, a fear he's... You said that... What was that? That was the windy shade. Oh, does it itself. Sensitive to loud noises. You were saying, Latrivia? Skip it. Uh, if you're all through here, Miss Cartwright, may I offer you a lift back to the city hall? I still have a few questions to ask Mr. McGee, Your Honor. He seems to have an amazing amount of valuable property. You said it. You might say in your article that Mr. McGee has objects of art and heirlooms worth easy half a million. Half a million? Mmm. More tea with lemon, please. <laughs> did, uh, did you say a half a million, McGee? Rough estimate, of course. As the floor walker said when he saw the shoplifter hide the frying pan under her coat, that figure is a trifle exaggerated. Uh, just a minute, please. Mr. McGee, several times you referred to some article I seem to be writing. Yeah, like the one you done on Old Man McDonald of the Third National. Why, the Wistful Vista Gazette. Yeah, my story will make him look like a ragged hermit, sis. When he reads about the expensive stuff I got around here, he... Are you under the impression that Miss Cartwright is a newspaper woman, McGee? Aren't you, Miss Cartwright? Why, no, Mrs. McGee. 
I'm the tax assessor. <laughs> what? The tax assessor? <laughs> Look out, he's going to blow up. <laughs> It probably isn't enough that your car just runs. You'd like to have it look clean and brightly polished any time you step into it. Am I right? Well, here's how you can fix that. Just pick up a package of Johnson's Car New from your dealer. Give it to your husband or one of the boys in your family. From then on, I'll wager you'll always have a car that's clean and bright. You see, men like to use Johnson's Car New because it's so easy. It's a liquid that both cleans and polishes in one application. You simply apply Car New, rubbing just enough to loosen dirt and grime. In a few minutes, Car New dries to a white powder. And when you wipe this powder off, your car looks really beautiful. All the dirt and dullness disappear, and the finish shines and sparkles like a new car. Believe me, there just isn't any other car polish that does such a wonderful polishing job with so little effort. Use Car New a couple of times a year, and road grime will never kill the luster of your finish. Remember to ask for Johnson's Car New, spelled C-A-R-N-U. So you had a little talk with the mayor, did you, dearie? What happened? Well, he straightened it out with the assessor. How? And he told her I was a silly old braggart and a four-flusher and the biggest liar in Wistful Vista. <laughs> ah, there's a real friend, that Latrivia. Uh-huh. Good night. <laughs> Good night, all. <laughs> This is Anna Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night.